This morning I'm going to split a message in kind of two different tracks. The Lord's given me each one of them because of the current situations and one that I recently went through. So first there's a little teachifying and then there's going to be a little testifying. The last time pastor asked me to bring a message on Sunday, I spoke of indications of the nearness of the end times. Just to refresh your memory, there were discussions about the dramatic increases in travel and knowledge, earthquakes, pestilence or disease, famine, wars and rumors of wars, false Christs, the church growing cold, the apostasy, and lawlessness. I think we've seen in the last six months or so the result of pestilence in the COVID-19, and we saw plenty of lawlessness leading up to the election. Unfortunately, the church is growing cold and falling away. That's a, a matter of fact. But today I'm going to concentrate on famine. We don't think much of famine, especially after filling ourselves on Thanksgiving. But the UN World Food Program was the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize in 2020. And the head of that agency, a gentleman named Beasley, is warning of the potential for absolutely devastating famines around the globe in 2021. The COVID-19 lockdowns that were instituted all over the world this year created tremendous hardships in many wealthy countries. But in poorer nations, the economic devastation has created alarming waves of hunger. There was hope that things would get better when lockdowns were being lifted. But now, unfortunately, we see a new round of lockdowns and that's new rounds of, of closures being imposed. And that, for many, is going to mean deep poverty. When he received this award, he was absolutely thrilled when his agency was given that prize because of all the attention it's given him to the opportunity for ask for money. Because without massive influx, influx of money, he says that we're going to see famines of biblical proportions in 2021. I didn't know what biblical proportions of famine really were. But I wanted to look and see what a recent famine did. And the most recent one I can find is uh, 40 years ago in China. It was in the middle of the world's largest famine between the spring of 1959 and 1961. Some 30 million Chinese starved to death and about the same number of births were lost or postponed in only two years. Think about that. 30 million people lost to hunger. That's not the worldwide pandemic. That's hunger in China in two years. There were 10 famine periods in Bible history over about 2,000 years, and they created social disruption, fear, and mass death in the Promised Land. Part of that was, was put on and it was conducted to the support of a human being cultural indecisions and the indifferences that were major f factors in biblical famine famine 
There are currently, that I could find, and you Bible scholars probably can find more, there are 84 verses in 17 books of the Bible that record famine, including the, the famine during the Great, Depression, Great Tribulation, which is in Revelation 6, 7, and 8, which says they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and the wild beasts. If I'm not mistaken, there's something like nine nine or ten million people in the world today and a fourth of those can be killed overnight by famine, plague, and wild beasts of the earth. Widespread crop failures, which I've discussed in previous occasions, are going on currently around the world. We have hordes of locusts the size of cities that descend on and clean out a crop in a day. You kill the crops, the food supply is drastically limited. When no one can eat, famine. Food prices are rapidly rising all over the planet and it's hurting the people at the bottom of the economic food chain the most. We haven't seen much of that here in our country. We're blessed beyond most all countries, we're considered the breadbasket of the world and we're sending crops to other parts of the world to feed them. But many areas of the globe are potentially facing a major food crisis in the, in the next three to six months. In the next three to six months. Over 20 countries are likely to face potential spikes in high acute food insecurity. That means hunger in the next three to six months and require urgent attention. Yemen, South Sudan, Northeastern Nigeria, Burkina Faso, and some of the areas that have reached critical hunger situation following years of conflicts, wars, and other economic shocks. Any further deterioration in the food supply could wreak havoc and resist that major famine. In the United States, we don't have that problem, at least not really yet. But, and that's the good news, but here's a little bad news. We're currently in the midst of an economic turndown that has not been easy for many people. A lot of people are out of work. A lot of people have been out of work a long enough time that their economic security, their employment security checks have stopped. Their businesses that they worked at are closed and will never reopen. That means somebody's going without money. Many people are living as homeless people now. Those people need to be taken care of by people who are working. It's going on now. And here's an example of what happened in, in Texas. This is a food bank distribution event held in North Texas Food Bank in Dallas on Saturday. This is the Saturday before Thanksgiving. Saw 600,000 pounds of food given away, including 7,000 turkeys. You have to be willing to be pretty patient to stand in line and wait for food for 12 hours. But when you have no other source of food, you'll wait 24 hours if you need to. 12 hours standing in line. People were asked, I don't see any Thanksgiving dinner otherwise. 
This food distribution in one city, in one state of this great country was a big deal. One lady was waiting, her name was Samantha Wood. She says, I see blessings coming to us because we're all struggling and I appreciate the North Texas helping out. Another one said, I haven't been working since December. I can't find a job. They cut my unemployment and it's a real big deal. Real big deals. Yeah, I would say that if you find people who are hungry, and if you want to find some, you can go right down on Pacific Avenue. You can go on Tacoma across from the county city building. You'll find people living in tents, eating out of garbage cans in this, the most prosperous country in the world. And if, if we're doing that, think about what other parts of the world are doing. Think about what third world countries are doing. I've stood up here in the past asking to donate money to Israel because the Israelis are hungry. And they can't, they don't have the benefit of being able to turn the printing presses on and print money. They depend on God. And they depend on God's people. That's the teachifying. Now I'm going to do a little testifying and preachifying. As many of you know, I'm a widower, and my primary company in life are my three dogs. And I love those dogs like they're kids. People say, well, they're just dogs. No, they're not just dogs. They're my family. Each one of them has a personality. Each one of them shows me that they love and care for me, and I love and care for them. I have a, par a new, new hunting dog named Parker, a German shorthair pointer that the Lord blessed me with after I lost my golden retriever. Munchkin, my little Yorkie, and Missy, my chai terrier. All of, that, all of those were either rescued or given to me. Saturday the 21st was a sad day that I won't soon forget. I told the pastor about this and he knew that I was almost in tears when I talked to him. I just started hunting at JBLM when my son called out, Dad, Parker is hurt. And he was. We caught up to him and his hind leg was pumping blood. Other members of the hunting team came over with things to try and coagulate the blood but you can't stop the blood in an artery unless you pinch it off he was bleeding profusely all i could do was put him in the back of the truck and haul him off to emergency vet services as quickly as i could otherwise he would have bled to death i was panicky I took him to the vet and they said, we're going to have to perform surgery. He has cut an artery and if we don't put it, you know, stitch it back together, he'll die. Well, the surgery was mandatory. It didn't have a question in my mind whether it could be afforded or not. It was going to be afforded and I had to have that dog taken care of. One of the things you do for your children, you don't let them die. You don't let them bleed to death if you can figure out how to help them. I was told I can pick him up afternoon, so I went home and let my two little ones out. They had been in the crates all morning while we'd been gone, and began in cleaning the masses of blood out of the back seat of my truck. 
Then I went in and started looking for a cone to keep Parker from chewing on his stitches. You know, the cones that they wrap around their neck so they can't bite. I went to every room in the house. I knew I'd had one because my golden retriever, Sonny, had had a cone. He needed to have it on for uh, keep him from chewing at a bandage as well. So I went to every room in the house, including a bedroom that is no longer in use, and there's a closet door in there. So I looked in the closet, it wasn't there. I looked in another closet. I finally found it in the closet in my office. So I got the cone, and I started looking for Munchkin. I opened the door, and I was absolutely sure that both dogs, the little ones, had come back inside. But then I couldn't find Munchkin. I couldn't find him. I looked everywhere in that house. I went up and down the area that we live in calling and I found outside my backyard a small area and a fence which I was sure he just crawled under. And I was sure he was gone for good because he would have come to me had he been able to outside. So I called my neighbors. And my neighbors began searching the area for my little dog. Got great neighbors. My son started searching the area for my little dog. I hit the social media asking for help, and by now it's dark, it's cold, it's raining, and I have no little dog. He's never been outside in the cold and the dark and the rain. He's my kid. I don't leave him out like that. Then it hit me. We have owls big enough to carry him away, and we have coyotes that prowl the neighborhood. And I lost it. I didn't go to bed. I fell asleep in the chair, and every so often I'd get up and go to the front door, and I'd call his name, hoping he'd come up the front way, and I'd be able to put him in the house, dry him off, and give him love. He didn't come in. Nighttime, he didn't come in. I went out the back door, the front door. I was up and down the hall, up and down the roads with my flashlight calling his name. I'm sure the neighbors thought I was insane. Still no puppy. Morning came. I had fallen asleep in the chair about 1.30. And about 3.30, I was wide awake. And about 5 o'clock in the morning, it's still dark. And I'm out with my flashlight. I am calling his name and and just absolutely sick the thought of losing my little pup. Sometime early in the morning, God spoke to me and the message came loud and clear. You see how much pain you are over the loss of Munchkin? Can you imagine how I feel when one of my children are lost forever. So I couldn't imagine. And I, I didn't know how to, to tell anyone how I was feeling and how God had just expressed how he felt at the loss of people. And then I went searching. How can I explain this? And I came upon something that I'm sharing right now in Luke 16, 19 through 31, something we don't know, but go ahead and turn in your Bibles to, to Luke 16, chapters 19, or verses 19 through 31. 
It's a story that you're all familiar with. There was a certain rich man who habitually clothed himself in purple and fine linen and reveled and feasted and made merry and splendor every day. And at his gate there was a carelessly dropped down and left on a certain utterly destitute man named Lazarus. He was reduced to begging alms and covered with ulcerated sores. He eagerly desired to be satisfied with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs even came and licked his sores. And it occurred that the man reduced to begging died and was carried to the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, the realm of the dead, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have pity and mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Abraham says, Child, remember that you in your lifetime fully received what is due you, comforts and delights, and in Lazarus, in his manner, the discomforts and distresses. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who want to pass from this place to you may not be able, and no one may pass from there to us. And the man said, Then, Father, I beseech you, send him to my father's house. I have five brothers, that, so that he may give solemn testimony and warn them, lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear and listen to them. But he answered, No, Father Abram, if you, someone from the dead goes, Oops, sorry. Someone from the dead goes, One thing about computers. To them, they will repent and change their mind for the better and hardly amend their ways with abhorrence of their past sins. But he said to him, if they do not hear and listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded and convinced and believe even if someone should raise from the dead. Does God really care if a soul is lost? Talking about hell is not normally done in church anymore. Used to be preachers preached hellfire and damnation, and they uh, scared people into heaven. Now most people, most pastors, preach present texts. They aim to make people feel better, successful, and give them all the warm fuzzies possible. Few sermons today have to do with saving souls from hell. So the question, who cares? The answer, first, God cares. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This cries out that he cares. Think about it. The stable in Bethlehem cries the Father cares. Calvary's cross cries the Father cares. His son had to go through all the abuse, the scourging, the spikes in his hands and feet, the mockery taking our place. The long wait for Christ's return cries that the Father cares. Just one more soul to trust Christ, the one who cares for the following sparrow cares about keeping souls out of hell. Who cares? Jesus, the Son, cares. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. 
When you see Jesus reaching out to sinners, you know he cares. He mingled among sinners, ministering to them. He was accused by his enemies. This man received as sinners. On the cross, he reached one more sinner, the thief. Hear the directions, sending his disciples in the world. Go ye, therefore, teach all nations. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why would he do that? Because he cares. Who cares? The Holy Spirit cares. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. He first empowered believers to witnesses. They needed his power to serve Christ. 3,000 souls were saved that day. What a harvest for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit still speaks through Christians to reach the lost today. Christians carry the message of the gospel, the death, death and burial, and resurrection of Christ to sinners. The Holy Spirit wants the drunks the dopers, the porn perverts, and the religious, but lost to come to Christ. He is concerned about all sinners. The Holy Spirit is the Lord of the harvest. He brings conviction to sinners to see sin as sin. He reveals Christ to the repentant heart. He then regenerates those who trust in Christ, Titus 3, 5. Who cares? All of heaven cares. Picture the glory in heaven when the, they hear the news of one lost sinner who by faith trusts in Christ to take their sin away. Think of the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents like in, like in Luke 15.10. Joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So every convert to Christ brings songs of praise in heaven. We make the heaven glad when we lead people to Christ. Who cares? Hell cares. Compare the rich man and Lazarus in life. Compare them in death. Do you hear the cry of the rich man in hell? Send Lazarus. He wanted Lazarus to go warn his brothers. Don't you think five minutes in hell would make us all concerned for lost souls? Do you care? Really? What about the neighbor who is lost in sin? What about the friend who would go to Christ's less, Christ less eternity in hell? Remember the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. That Savior is Jesus Christ. He came to die on the cross and shed his blood to pay our sin debt. He rose the third day to prove his sacrifice was all that was needed. Won't you repent from your sin work and, your way, and work your way to heaven thinking and put your faith in the risen Savior? He cares. Make sure of your eternity today. And if you have put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, that's great. Then take the message to others. Remember, all the ones who care about sinners on the way to hell, trust Christ today before it's too late. That answer the question in my mind, who cares? That answer the question in my mind, does God care? Does answer the question that I received as I was sitting there pining, crying over my lost dog. God cares for each one of his children more than we can ever imagine. If any of you have ever lost a loved one, you know how it feels. You know the grief. If you ever lost a loved one who you knew was not going to go to heaven, you never get over that grief. God loves us. He wants us to share that love with others. He wants us to tell others. He wants us to be motivated so that the most important thing that we have, we share with those people that we love. Even those people we don't even know. Even those people who are unlovely. God loves them.
and we are required to love them too. That's how we show that we're keeping the message of Christ alive in us. This is how you, wish you shall know by the way they love other people. So I'm asking you today, do you care? And if you really care, it's easy to sit and listen. It's harder to get up and do something about it, but your reward in heaven will be much greater than anything you can stow up on earth. And that closes this message, but I'm going to close with a request that Pastor come up and give us closing comments. God bless you all. It was a great message, really spoke to my heart. It's the times that we're living in today. Um, Jesus said these times would come, not to uh, discourage us, but to encourage us, to kind of prepare us. Uh, at least he warned us, but he also said in his word, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, well, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it was not so, I would not have told you. But he said he went to prepare a place for us. And the Bible said he will come again. The coming of Christ, the signs are all around us. Luke 21 says the world will be in perplexity. Perplexity means no way out. The world has no way out unless they turn to Christ. We have so many problems today, I don't think any man can figure them out or to solve them. But Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, lift up your head because your redemption draws near. When I was a new believer, I would be so anxious when my pastor would say that, the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church, I would get so excited, but you hear it for 40 years and pretty soon it kind of... Okay, you know, it's not quite as exciting as it used to be, but I think we should be watching and we should be alert. And Jesus said we should recognize the signs of the times, and they are upon us. No one knows the day or the hour, but we do know that the time is close and Christ's coming is close. Just one last thing. You know, I said this last week, and we're going to have to that rely and depend first on, uh, on the Lord, first of all, for, but we also going to have to rely and depend upon each other. I see more and more people now in our fellowship who are sharing things. Um, they are sharing their food, their money. They're sharing the extra whatever they have. They're giving it to people. It's like... In my house, we begin to downsize. We begin to get rid of stuff that we're not using and trying to find someone in the fellowship who can use those things. You know, we have things sitting in boxes, been there for 15 years. Well, all the kids are gone, and we still got those same boxes. And I'm thinking, well, why? Will we get rid of them, and someone can use them. You might have something that someone can use. Uh, and I think more and more we're going to have to depend upon each other. 
Jesus said, if these days were not short, no flesh would survive. No one would make it. They have all their weapons today, their nuclear weapons and all these weapons to destroy. They can destroy the world. And if those weapons get into the wrong hands, we have problems. But my encouraging words to you today is just keep focusing on Christ. Keep reading your words. Stay in prayer. When you begin to worry, go straight to the scripture and go straight to prayer. And also, it's time for the body to minister to the body. If you know someone in the fellowship who is hurting and they're going through trials and they need your encouragement, that's why it's so good for us to come together so we can encourage one another. Because like they say, we're all in this together, they keep saying. Well, that's probably true. We are. How much is this going to affect the believer? We don't know. But I do think it's going to affect the church. It's already affecting us, just like it is the unbeliever. Only thing different with us, we have Christ, and the unbeliever doesn't. How much persecution are we going to receive before Christ comes? Don't know. But we do know that whatever we go through in the future, he's with us. So don't think that you are alone. And be an encourager. Build somebody up. If God lays somebody on your mind, make sure you pick up the phone and you call them. There's some people here that's not here. They have underlying illnesses, and they're not coming to church, and I don't blame them because they don't want to take a chance on getting sick. That's understandable. But if you see people here that used to be here that's not here now, you can pick up the phone and you can call them and you can see how they're doing, and you can pray with them and encourage them so they don't feel like we've forgotten about them. Okay, so be of good cheer. Jesus said he has overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can come today and just hear your word. We know, God, that you are still on the throne. And we know, Lord, your word told us to trust in you with all our hearts and to lean not to our own understanding. And that's so much we don't understand. But we do know that nothing catches you by surprise. And we know that you're working, even when we don't understand, we know that you're working. And you've never lost a battle yet. So we know, God, we can trust you. So encourage your people today. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. And I pray that. You don't get discouraged, guys. Uh, God's, God's got this, and he's with us. So keep your eyes fixed on him. Encourage someone before you leave, and we'll see you guys next week. God bless you. Thank you.